Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans. Welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're recording at Italy and getting in holiday mode with some cooking and market tips from Chef Paola Salietti. We'll also talk about the cult of Bucky's and why reality TV shows love Dallas restaurants. Then we'll hear from the CEO of the World Food Championships about how you can watch live and maybe even be a judge. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show and helpful links. We're also gearing up for the holiday season, and we want to hear about your favorite holiday dishes, too. So please share with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be joined by Paula of Italy to talk about holiday cooking tips. But right now, I'm joined by food writers Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller to talk about what's trending. So, Claire, I know you've been watching a lot of Love is Blind. <laughs> Is this by choice? <laughs> Okay, so I have watched it before. There's renewed interest, though, because this season takes place in Dallas and features right. Dallas couples. It's I think it's always interesting to see what they choose to show of a city and, like, the places they choose to show when they're filming reality TV. So, yeah, I did. I have watched every episode so far. And they're eating a lot in Dallas. They are. So, well, for quick context, these are people who are kind of speed dating and meeting each other in these pods so they don't see each other. They have to just form relationships based based on conversation. This is like The Voice, but for yes. a reality TV dating show. Exactly. Sarah. Okay. And then they decide if they want to get engaged before they ever see each other. No. Yeah. <laughs> it, in a matter of days. Okay. No. And this is then all bad. they have this big reveal and see each other and come back to Texas where they then live together for several weeks and then go to the altar and decide if they're actually going to get married. That's the And do some here. people do it? Yeah. Oh, actually, man. Like, this is the third season. I don't know how many couples have lasted, but people do get married, which is wild. So this season, the couples were all living in an apartment complex in Addison. So the first restaurant that we see them at is I Declare. There was a night where kind of the full cast of the show all gathered at sundown at granada huh? for drinks there was a lot of drama that went down there there was a mention of candle room which is a knox henderson nightclub that's a throwback yeah i was thinking the same thing i was like <laughs> man the kids went there when i was a kid yeah totally. people are still going there and this i guess on wednesdays they do candle room wednesdays they have a dj um there was another couple that had dinner at rest in peace emoto um, which is no longer around mm. in victory park another was at perry steakhouse in uptown and then not long ago the full cast gathered at uh, Felix Culpa on Henderson Avenue. And then a little bonus, one couple had an Italian dinner on the gondolas in Las Colinas. I think 
thing I have never done. Did not know that that was a thing, but they have like full dinner packages that you can choose. And I'm kind of into it. Yeah, you can eat dinner on your gondola and look at the office parks of Las Colinas. <laughs> I think we should take the Italian chefs from Italy and have them go on the gondolas in Irving. Eat it's such a good salad. idea. <laughs> we'll like, see is what this they different take. than Venice or not? It feels like you're there, doesn't it? <laughs> Those are all the places that were featured. I was kind of surprised there wasn't any Tex-Mex. Are you going to keep watching? There, well, there's one episode left. I, so I have to. Yeah, I'm in deep now. <laughs> this is now your beat. <laughs> is actually looking for restaurants on television. Was there a barbecue place? No. Is that very date-friendly, though? Like a barbecue place? I would argue. Yes, I think Sarah would argue. How many it's, dates have you been it's on? my love language. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, my husband takes me there when he wants to a barbecue place when he wants to impress me. And it does, in fact, impress me. So, Sarah, a story that you wrote last week about Bucky's did, like, totally bonkers on the internet. Okay, so the largest Bucky's right now is in Tennessee, which really just isn't right and made a lot of Texans very mad because Bucky's is a very Texan Bucky's brand. Bucky's is ours. Yes. So, Sarah, what did you find out? Well, they're building a new Bucky's in Luling, Texas, that will be 75,000 square feet, an entire 1,000 square feet more than the 74,000 square foot Bucky's in Tennessee. And this is very much on purpose. And, you know, I want to ask the architect, like, couldn't you go like 5,000 square feet more? What's the difference? You know, at this point, let's make it a lot bigger, but it is a scotch bigger than the existing largest Bucky's in Tennessee. This new Bucky's in Luling is replacing an existing Bucky's that was clearly less than 75,000 square feet and needed a little bit of a refresh. But every time I write about Bucky's, I love it because it is easy to write. I know this brand backwards and forwards. We stop there sometimes to use their fantastically clean restrooms. But th this story performed so well that I started to get embarrassed because there's a lot going on in the world besides the largest yeah. Bucky's coming back to Texas. And yet, Bucky's was number one on our website for three full days. And so I had to tell the politics team it's their turn this week it's election week yes and a, a cartoon beaver <laughs> and his 120 gas station pumps are less important of course than who's going to be our next governor but the internet didn't think so one of the last times we went there was a guy dressed in a beaver costume did yeah. he work there uh <laughs> that, that was, yes that's the question <laughs> or not <laughs> Uh, you know what? It didn't even occur to me. I assumed he worked there. We took a bunch the of selfies. Who's hugging people's children is, <laughs> is is a free laborer who's just decided to show up and oh, no. and show his art. It's like those people who stand uh, in Hollywood yes. and you're like, this is a bootleg costume. <laughs> it's duckies. <laughs> oh my gosh. So fun fact, my dad used to live in like Jackson. So we used to go down there to visit him a lot. And that is where Bucky's world headquarters is. Really just like less than a mile from my dad's house is this little building that says like Bucky's world headquarters. I don't know what it says, but <laughs> I hope it says world. I know that's, that's what you in my 40 mind years ago, they were thinking ahead. Like this thing's going to be big y'all in my mind. That is what it says. And then just down the highway, I stopped at the first Bucky's which is really, really small. It's just like a normal gas station. It's funny you mentioned this, Erin. I have been by that Bucky's because we took a Texas road trip with our kids and my husband Chase was like playing South Texas tour guide. So I'm driving and he's in the passenger seat and he's he's giving facts about Bucky's, like when it started and where it started. And ooh, look, he's like an arm gesturing out the window. <laughs> this is Bucky's right here. And we both sort of like peek back to check that our two children are listening and they're both asleep. <laughs> so this is like some 
depths of our Texas knowledge, yeah. and uh, they don't care. Okay, so we also want to know what you all buy at Bucky's, especially for the holidays. What do you stock up on? What are your favorite things? I know my son has a Bucky's pillow on his bed, and I think my mom <laughs> even bought him Bucky's underwear at one point. I didn't know they had that. They I mean, were, of course, they, were they have that. Um, my whole family has Bucky's bathing suits. Like husband, me, and two little girl bathing suits. Please, wow. please tell me they have little beaver tails sticking out of oh them. My oh my please. gosh! No, they don't. Well, the whole no. beaver thing is a little Texas flag <laughs> with just the stupid beaver face on the middle. So I have something that I want to talk about. It's not really trending. It's just one of Bring those. It. Just one of those Aaron things <laughs> that bugs me, and I need to just therapy like, session. Yes. So anyway, one of my biggest issues is food packaging. <laughs> So we talking about like the way that the logo looks on the outside of the package? Oh no, like how you open it. Oh, the way the package gets deconstructed. Maybe I do need a therapist. (laughs) So anyway, I pretty much hate all food packaging. Like I can just be (laughs) totally defeated by a box of cereal or like a carton of yogurt or the little foil packet that you get tuna out of that just destroys me. Is the problem getting food on your hands? Because I know I hate it when yeah. I get the tuna juice. Ugh, and tuna they, juice. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's just like when it's not a clean open. You know, like when you have one of those string cheese individually wrapped things. Yep. If you do not tear the perforation at the perfect spot to pull down the plastic, like you will just end up having to gnaw the cheese out of the plastic. Erin, have you ever <laughs> tried scissors? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> now, can I ask, but do you like... scissors get all gross. Yeah, then you gotta wash your have scissors. Have you ever used kitchen scissors? I do. That you take apart and wash? I, do. I have scissors that I only use for opening food packaging. Yeah. yeah, I have a ton of those. And those have made my life easier. But sometimes I'm just lazy and I'm like, so certainly this time I can open a box of cereal. With when, you, when you've got the box of cereal and you've got the flap, you got to stick your finger under it and joop joop on either side, right? And then the flap comes up and the other flap comes up. Or do you kind of like Wolverine in there and you yeah. just start, you just start <laughs> clawing at it? Well, all that's just really complicated. Like... <laughs> <laughs> There's a yogurt brand that we buy a lot of, Siggy's. Uh-huh. It's an Icelandic yogurt. The top does not fit. Oh. And so it's never fully closed. Like oh, you could, that would drive you me crazy. It, you could bump it wrong and it would pop off. I but it comes it. closed. Yes, it does. And every time I go to buy it, I'm like, surely this time they have figured it out. No, years now. Hmm. Yeah. So I feel you. So I've got an Oreos packaging problem. And as we all know, I didn't get Oreos as a child. And so now we sometimes have them around for my children because it's a gift. Um, But Oreos used to open at the end and then you'd have sleeves. No, no, not anymore. They have the slide across the top. You don't like that? And then it it closes back. So I do like it. But if I can say, sometimes other people in my house don't know that that is there. And then they open it (gasps) at the end. Oh my God. No. No. So now your Oreos are ruined. Yes. Because how do you close the end? I mean, are you going to put like four chip clips at the end to close the end? No, I was just using the resealable situation in the middle. This yeah. That's a food packaging problem I have. So now I'm understanding, Erin. Yeah. I mean, really don't even get me started on resealable packaging because a lot of it is just like 100% comedy. Like Bad. it's not really, But when really you do work. find a resealable whatever yeah. and that Ziploc really zips at the end, you're like, yes. That is very satisfying. Yeah. I have invested a lot in OXO's pop grips, whatever they're called, because I would take the cereal, use my kitchen shears to open it and then pour it all in the other container. Okay, a friend just sent me this literally this morning. 
this baking storage set on Amazon. The storage containers are made to fit the amounts that things come in. So like the flour one, it's a full bag of flour. So you don't have like the leftover little bit that you're still then storing. The one for powdered sugar comes with a little bar in it that you um, scrape off the top. Ooh, it's so good. The um, brown sugar one comes with a little thing that you put on the underside that like keeps it from clumping. Each one is like designed specifically for the item it is intended to hold. And I feel like these were made for you. I have those. (laughs) 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 And I have a bunch of the cereal ones that I put a lot of crackers in there and all that kind of stuff. But I think you're right, Julie. I think some of it's like the wet food when it gets on my hands, like the tuna or the cheese and I can't get it off. And I've got something for you that's going to send you completely over the edge. Oh, good. My mother-in-law, I really hope she's not listening to this. She will not use Tupperware. Any leftover food, she will dump into a freezer bag. So when you open her... <laughs> oh, no. Regardless of consistency? Regardless of consistency. So there will be these soupy bags of stuff. Sorry, Mary. The reality is you can't get the food out without getting it on your hands Doesn't at you the very least. you have to just do the pastry chef model and cut a corner off the tip and squeeze oh. it out. Right, right. <laughs> they even have these things that sort of sit upward on your countertop and it holds the Ziploc bag for you. So oh. that if you Can need dump. to pour something in your bag, mm. and I have one of those also. <laughs> We need an inventory of what you've got in there, Erin. <laughs> I thought you were going to say intervention. <laughs> but it also sounds like you are a willing consultant for any brands that are looking to I improve am. their packaging. I am. Are you one of those people who it, it enrages them to hear people eat food or like chugging water? Yeah. Y'all are really getting into my issues now. <laughs> so we shouldn't do an ASMR segment next? Okay, so if any of you guys have food packaging that drives you insane, or if it's just me, that's fine. Um, but you can email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. That's eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Claire? Eatdrink <laughs> at dallasnews.com. There will be a quiz later. Dot com. Thanks, guys. Stick around. Up next, we'll be joined by Chef Paola Salietti of Italy and Mike McLeod of the World Food Championships. Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We are so excited to be at Italy today, where they are already getting in the holiday mood with panettone, holiday boxes, truffles, and caviar. And they've kindly shared Chef Paola Salietti with us to talk about holiday cooking tips. Chef Paola is from Torino, Italy, and has worked for Italy for six years. And she's been here at the Dallas store since it opened. Hi, everybody. Hi, welcome. Very, very nice to be with you today. And so, Sarah, I know you had you do a lot of holiday entertaining and cooking, so I know you had some questions for Paula. We do. We cook and eat a lot at the holidays, but I can always use more tips, chef. So I want to start with your ideas for all of our listeners who are cooking at home. So let's say you've got at least 10 people, maybe it could be as many as 20 in your home. What are some tips that will make that easier? 
Okay, so to start, I will say that in my specific family, we like to bring, everybody brings something because we all get together in one home. I like to tell my aunt to bring something as I'm going to cook something. Usually, I try to think of something that doesn't require too much or too many days of prep. Uh, so I usually go for easy uh, cooking types like oven roasted vegetables or like I really like brasato. Brasato is like braised meat. So it's something that you basically season the meat and just throw in the oven. It's going to cook for a few hours and then it's ready. You don't have any extra things to think about or like worry about. Uh, just and then like, the house smells so good. Oh, yes. For, for a few <laughs> days, I guess. Yeah, I want to be in your house. <laughs> yes. Uh, obviously, all these like meat that you can think of, they have to be accompanied by something else. Obviously, vegetables is something very easy to manage at home. Do not cook vegetables by yourself or at the phone with somebody because you're going to forget them. So oh. I think if Good you tip. have your husband, your sister, your kids, like you're going to remember in some way. That's my feeling. Usually if I try to make it something at home as a chef, I'm going to mess it up for sure. I don't know what chemical. I don't know what chemical chemistry there is behind, but like I always make mistakes if I'm by myself. I like to have somebody around me. So it also make it like the kitchen more comfortable. Risotto is definitely an option. Risotto is another one pot food item that it's pretty easy to cook. It takes about 20 minutes to cook, like from scratch. Uh, it's something that you can make in a large pot and you can basically season whatever, whatever you like. Let's say mushroom, you can do saffron risotto, you can do just uh, parmigiano, prosecco di glaze risotto, shaved truffle on top, something like fancy that you don't make on a daily, weekly basis, especially if you work all day and you don't want to go home and again start cooking from scratch. You may be tired for that. Holiday is a very good occasion where you can dedicate a little bit of time to cooking. You want to like uh, cuddle yourself and your family. So those are like the items that I would go for, especially during the holiday season, which for me, they start like mid-November toward January. In these two months, usually you're going to get some weight on yourself. Why not? Let's eat these desserts. Let's eat this very yummy and heavy food. Why not? It's like winter. It's usually cold. I don't like cold personally, but like I like the warm and cozy food. Let's say cozy food because I think it's the right word to say. So other tips I would suggest like uh, if you don't want to spend too many hours in the kitchen, just go and buy from the professionals. Here at Italy, I love as a chef to be just wandering around the store myself after work and just, oh, maybe tonight I'm going to make some pasta that I buy already made. It's so easy. Just like grab the sauce, think about the parmigiano or pecorino you want to use instead and uh, think about like the pairing with this shape. I'm going to use this sauce. So it's very easy also to think about like uh, this pasta looks so fresh, so good. I'm not going to be able to make it as good at home. So just buy. Don't try to mess things that can be really, really good by made by professionals. So it's also a very easy thing for me, chef, working in this Italy company. It's so lovely that before you go home, you just stop by and buy something. And in the pasta section, yes. I've also found that the chefs are pretty helpful. So you can go up there and say, tonight I want to have a vegetarian pasta. Which of these raviolis do you like? And which sauce can you buy? And then dinner's kind of finished it feels like yeah. here at Italy. It's very easy for that reason because uh, behind every counter we have professionals or experts or chefs sometimes that can give you the best tips. My personal preference is definitely the seasonal ravioli with the zucca filling, squash filling. So that it's really good pair with uh, brown butter or regular butter with parmigiano and sage. If you think about it, it's only three ingredients. You buy the pasta, you buy the butter, you buy the parmigiano. If you have sage at home, 
done. Like that's dinner for you and your family. Uh, it's also like warm. You know, you can use also hazelnuts in it. Like some, think about something like a sweet side on zucca, like the squash. Uh, in Italy, it's very popular to pair amaretti cookie with the squash, uh, uh, either gnocchi Aha. or squash uh, uh, ravioli. And you just crumble some amaretti. We sell amaretti in Italy. It's like this almond cookie made with almond flour and egg whites. You just basically crumble that on top. That's it. It's not something that at the moment we serve in any restaurant, but I think we should. This is a two-course meal right <laughs> here. That's exactly. It's super easy, yeah. The holiday season, like, charcuterie boards are huge. Oh, that's um, a very and big Entertaining. Topic. Yes. <laughs> um, and so that's what I like to come here for a lot, is all those little bites for the, I guess, in Italian, it's more like antipasti. Is that oh, kind yeah, of yeah. what you call it? It's perfect um, to share. Yeah. Um, if you come by the store and you ask to any um, person behind the counter, they will definitely be helpful. We have over, like, 500 pipes of cheeses, so even me, it's hard to Yum. pick the ones that you like. You must try them all before you pick. For the holidays, I will just go classic. So go for maybe a blue cheese and they can suggest you which one. Uh, that, if it's too strong and somebody in the family you think is right. not going to like it, just drizzle some honey on top. That's I, I love super this tip. Simple. Yeah, yeah. I feel like people think they don't like blue cheese and they might if you didn't say, that's blue cheese, you don't like blue cheese, do you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just let him yeah. try it first. <laughs> just try some honey on top and maybe a piece of walnut. It will change completely the flavor. And that's also a kind of a fancy pairing for home. Usually you find these in restaurants. And again, I have a chef mind usually. But like for home, those are very small tips that will make your dish m much better. And in addition to blue cheese, you can also ask for like a soft cheese. And we have plenty. Uh, there is also mozzarella that we make in-house or buffalo mozzarella that you can, we can import from Italy. So all these specific things, again, are not something that you eat or buy on a weekly basis, but definitely for the holiday, treat yourself. And so what would be on your ideal charcuterie board? For sure a prosciutto. Mm -hmm. Prosciutto is this uh, cured leg of uh, pig, pork. Um, we have multiple brands. Uh, we have San Daniele, which is from the northern east region of Italy. We also have Parma, which is the most uh, common classic known in the world, uh, which is a little bit saltier than San Daniele. Uh, they all can be aged from 14 months to up to 48 months, which is going to be very dry and salty, actually. But like, if you can pick, I would suggest an 18 months which is like the perfect aging prosciutto leg uh, for sure we're gonna have a salami I like spicy soppressata. I like, I like sweet salami. Those, uh, we can't really import many from Italy. There are certain regulations that we cannot import so many salami from uh, Italy. But for prosciutto, yeah, that's 100% uh, Italian. Salami, we usually pick local or U.S. Uh, domestic salami, which usually are also made from Italian people that move to U.S. and open their own salumeria. So they make exactly the same thing that they make in Italy, but it's made in the U.S., uh, another uh, salumi I can suggest is coppa, which is underrated overall. Uh, coppa is basically the neck of the pig that it's cured. It's really different from any other cut, and it's usually very aromatic and flavorful. So I would suggest that too. And do you do nuts and cheese on your charcuterie board as well? Yeah, <laughs> always uh, some olives? honey, olives, uh, marinated olives. Usually, like if you if you don't have marinated olives, uh, meaning that they're you don't buy them under oil, I would suggest to warm up some oil. Pour the warm oil with rosemary, garlic, and maybe orange peel into your olives. Everyone in the room is like, Ooh. I love that <laughs> so much. Yeah. Uh, also, on a uh, cheese board and salumi board, always pair some honey or like sweet compote. I really, really like red onion usually. I, have, I make my recipe in restaurants here that comes from my aunt. It has only four ingredients. Red onions, uh, regular sugar, uh, cane sugar, and white wine. That cooks for like an hour. 
make a very small batch, like a couple of onions, a spoon of each sugar, and a little bit of glazed white wine. Let it reduce and caramelize, and that's it, ready. That's a like, very, very good red onion compote for your cheeses. I think we sell truffle honey, which is very seasonal right now, so you can buy that for sure. And even if you buy now, it will last at least three months. It's basically just honey with truffle, so it's going to preserve for months. Uh, we can find some uh, mustard, um, apricot mustard or fig jam, all these things. Some of them we sell like uh, Italian brands that we import from Italy. They are like perfect for your cheese and salumi board. Uh, you can pair some bread for sure. We make a variety of bread. We have olive bread. We have walnut bread. We have a lot of like um, house-made breads that are all going to be good with your salumi and prosciutto. Chef, what is a dish that your family expects you to make when at home, home because it's very good? <laughs> and then what's a dish you would never make because someone in your family makes it better? So arancini... I guess you probably heard this word before, especially if you went to Italy at least once, especially in the south of Italy. Arancini are those like rice uh, bowls. Uh, usually my moms make this for Christmas. Uh, I help her. But if I have to make it from scratch as she makes it, I'm not going to be as good as my mom. And she's not a really great cook. She doesn't even like to cook. I don't know why I am a chef today, but definitely I know she doesn't <laughs> like to cook. She only makes arancini for Christmas, and which are like very complicated and long time to prep. She makes it amazing. Uh, my mom mother's family is from Sicily so it's also easy for her for I guess her mother like you know they have been doing this for years me I try to help every Christmas when I go to Italy for Christmas which is rare lately but arancini is definitely something I will never try to make Uh, things that I like to make uh, brasato for sure that's like my strongest dish for Christmas Uh, especially if you do um, beef uh, um, chuck which is the cut of the meat, braised in a Barolo wine. You can buy a Barolo wine to pair with. And it's going to be amazing. Mm, that sounds uh, good. Yeah. Either mashed potato together or polenta. Uh, those are like the two dishes, that, the, the, the dish that I really like to prepare. When you're braising that meat, are you braising it by itself or are you putting in like no. aromatics and vegetables? Yeah. With um, well? yeah. Usually I sear the meat by itself first with a little bit of oil, salt and black pepper. Uh, take the meat on the side. It's going to rest a little bit on the side. On the same pot where, where all the fat is, you're going to braise, I'm sorry, you're going to toast the carrot, celery, onions. Then you can put back the meat. Uh, the glaze with the red wine. Usually, you don't want to use a very expensive wine for uh, the glazing because you know you, you, you're gonna spend money on something that you're not gonna really eat. But don't don't buy the very cheap wine for that because remember that if you put a cheap wine, it's not gonna come out as good. So I would suggest like a middle price wine. Also, also the cook cooking. has to drink while she <laughs> yes. is making the dish. <laughs> yes, so a little bit of wine in the beef, in, a, little a little bit of wine for me. Glass. Yes, absolutely. That's a, always a very good tip, especially during the holidays. <laughs> um, yeah, after the the glaze on the beef chuck it's done, uh, you can add more water, cover it with either a lid or aluminum foil, and drop it in the oven. Two hours, it's ready. And so are you a dessert person? In the meaning that I eat them, yes. In the meaning that I cook them, not really. Uh, but I like to eat them. And especially for holidays, I always recommend the panettone or pandoro. First of all, there are like two teams in Italy. There are most of people that like pandoro. Other people like panettone. Kids will definitely go for pandoro because it's more plain and basic and there are no uh, candied orange in it. 
I didn't like that when I was a kid. Nowadays, I prefer panettone that has chocolate chips or pistacchio or like limoncello liquor in it. Those are like the many, many flavors we can find at Italy Dallas, yeah. Can you describe both of those just for anybody who isn't familiar? So panettone is, uh, I would say like a between a bread, brioche and a cake, I guess. Uh, Usually they have some glaze on top. The very classic uh, panettone has uh, almond glaze on top and inside candied fruits, usually orange and lemons. Pandoro actually is a different shape. It comes from, sorry, panettone comes from Milan region, so Lombardia, north uh, center of Italy. Pandoro comes from Veneto, so the region nearby where Venice is, usually up to the mountains. Pandoro is very, very good in the morning with your coffee and milk. That's like the uh, tip when uh, you don't finish the whole Pandoro at night after dinner. Keep it for breakfast. It's amazing on your cappuccino. (laughs) I do like the idea that you can buy one of those slice it and then at the end of a meal that you have cooked possibly most of in your home dessert is finished and yeah and does not need to be chefed no, by exactly. the tired chef yeah and usually families are very full by the end of the meal so panettone will give the last kick but at least you don't have to worry about i like to pair the panettone or pandoro actually both either with um zabaione cream which is these uh, egg yolks and sugar whipped and uh, cooked in binary pot, uh, which is served also warm. My mother and my grandmother, they both put a little bit of marsala wine in it, like the sweet wine. Why not? Really sugary, but it's really good. Or gelato, if you don't want to stress about cooking another cream for the panettone only. Just buy gelato. We have like fior di latte, which is basically milk flavor gelato. One of my favorite, definitely the most plain flavor you can find. But if the quality of the milk and the cream that they use is high, the fior di latte gelato is actually the best pairing for the panettone or pandoro. Another like wine that I would suggest with pandoro or panettone with uh, your family dinner is definitely uh, Prosecco. We have many brands. Uh, one that I really like is Ferrari Prosecco. It's a little bit more pricey, but it's also like really, really nice. We also have this uh, Prosecco here at Italy Dallas. And we're also going to have a promotion about wines in uh, the weekend of November 18th to the 20th. The good thing is that usually you can also try wines before you buy. So if you buy six barrels or plus, so you're going to get also 20% discount. And the fact that you try before you buy, you make sure that you like it. And so you're going to stack up a little bit for the holidays or give it as a gift. That wine section is also right by the pasta. So if you're buying the pasta, pairing it with the sauce, then you go, hey, what does this go with? They get you a bottle of wine, your dinner is done. Correct, yeah. Usually if you go for a lighter flavor pasta, like uh, ravioli with spinach and ricotta filling, I would suggest either a white or any like light flavor wine. If you go for a gnolotti pasta, which has a braised pork and beef uh, filling, you will definitely going to look for a full body red wine. But all our wine experts can suggest you the best pairing. If your mom didn't cook, how did you become a chef and how did you finally end up in Dallas? Okay, so in my family, the person that cooked the most is my father. Uh, not that he's a chef. I have no chefs in my family. I guess when I was 16, and in Italy it's like a high school, the culinary school, it's not, it's not an after diploma school, it's just like during your high school years. So I did the culinary school from when I was 16 to 19. Uh, and I started to work already when I was 17, just because I 
wanted to get some money in my pocket, I guess. So I didn't really have reasons to wanted to work so young age. But I started, I find out that I like it and the school was like great for me. I was very well in school and I just kept working. I also worked as a server for a few years. I always wanted to travel in my life and that's always been a thing for me. So I realized that doing this job allows you to travel. And I think that being Italian, maybe female as well, like outside of Italy, it helped me a lot. Just because I'm Italian, people think that I know how to cook. <laughs> I definitely had to learn something for sure. I also lived in Paris for a couple of years where I learned most of the techniques. So in the end, I ended up here because I like the company of Italy. They brought me from Italy in 2016. I lived in New York for four years and now I'm in Dallas since a couple of years and I really like it. And so what do you think about the Dallas food scene? That's a very good question because I'm really not satisfied about Dallas yet. Ooh, that's, yeah. no, that's like, good. I mean, yeah, I think, from New York. <laughs> yeah, I think Dallas can do better. That's why uh, one of my goals is being here. Like, I want to make Dallas better. And with Italy, it's like uh, a very good uh, beginning, I guess. Uh, there are a few restaurants that I like in Dallas, but I think, uh, especially in the Italian scene, it's not so wide, so... I'm not really satisfied. Before we opened Dallas, uh, we went around to try some Italian restaurants or at least the restaurants that people suggest as Italian. They were not Italian, in my opinion. That's also why I did like to teach the classes here at Italy Dallas. There are guests that are actually interested on learning Italian food. And if they see an Italian chef or like any Italian tool, they can come by, uh, book a class in our scuola and learn something from us. Thank you so much, Paola. That was wonderful. And if you all want more holiday hacks and recipes from Italy, be sure to go to dallasnews.com food. Hey, listeners, this is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. Hey everyone, it's food festival and event season, and one of the biggest events in Dallas is the World Food Championships, which is being held this weekend at Fair Park in Dallas. It's a multi-day, 10-category cooking competition, from bacon to vegetarian, with more than 1,500 chefs competing for $300,000. And anyone can go watch the competitions live, taste some dishes, and even learn how to judge. Here's President and CEO Mike McLeod with more. The World Food Championships is like taking Food Network, uh, March Madness, and the football playoffs and rolling it all into one one shiny object and doing it for the benefit of chefs and foodies. It literally is the biggest food tournament in the world. Uh, we will have well over 300 teams competing for fame and fortune. Many of them go on to TV careers. Many of them will win lots of money. All of them will have incredible fun and build new relationships as they get together in this annual quest to be the best of the best when it comes to barbecue, dessert, seafood, sandwich, a number of categories. We have 10 categories overall. And it's like a five-day foodie heaven. If you like watching food TV, if you like going to food fests and seeing chefs create incredible dishes, that is the heartbeat of the World Food Championships. Um, we put a fest around it. Right in the middle of it is this huge competition. And we put uh, chefs and home cooks and pro teams on the main stage. This is completely designed with them in mind and with foodies to, um, to enjoy in the process. How long have the championships been in Dallas? We've been there since 2019. 
this will be our 10th anniversary uh, and our third competition in Dallas. We obviously missed 2020 because of COVID, but we did get back into uh, the swing of things last year. We debuted at uh, Fair Park in Centennial Hall, and it was a a beautiful facility, a, a beautiful place for us to do both indoor cooking and outdoor cooking. So we're excited to get back. Uh, we think it's going to be the best one we've ever produced. There's certainly more attractions and more ways to take a, a bite out of this championship than ever before. And why did you bring the competition to Dallas? Well, we originally had planned to move uh, this event on a regular basis, uh, but we found that being in a single destination for two or three years makes a lot of sense because we get a lot of efficiencies. And when we were looking to move back in 2018, Dallas threw their hat in the ring and they did a fantastic job of presenting to us the many benefits of being located in the center of the country to being in a a large metropolitan uh, market that has great media and great um, culinary talent. It was a big jump for us to go into a city of that size, but it was something that was perfect for our timing, our maturity, and the size of our event as we were growing. Today, uh, we love it because it's just, it's easy to get to, you know, with the two airports um, to drive to from the West Coast or the East Coast. And there's just so many things to do in Dallas uh, beyond the event. So we, we have about 2,500 chefs and teams that come to our event. The five days of our festival, they'll compete for at least two of those days, if not three. Uh, and that leaves them a day or two to go and, and enjoy the Dallas community, the, the food and the restaurants uh, and the other celebrity chefs that are there. So it's just a great, I think, home base for us because there's so much to do. What are the key events we should check out? some of the free attractions that we have. We have five of the best female pit masters in America competing on Thursday in what we call Firewoman. It's 90 minutes with basically no electricity, no help, and no restrictions on what they can make. And it's incredible to see them compete because they'll bring the most amazing contraptions you've ever seen, whether it's a a birdcage cooker or a big steam pit. It's very entertaining, and that'll happen right in the middle of Barbecue Ranch. Uh, Barbecue Ranch is one of those uh, free attractions, too. Once you get into the event with your general admission, uh, you'll want to sample from our uh, two dozen vendors, and most of them are meat purveyors of some sort. You will not walk away hungry. If you do, it's your own fault. But uh, Barbecue Ranch, Firewoman, and then about 30 culinary demos in Kitchen Arena by some wonderful chefs, a Michelin star chef out of New York City, Sean Hergat is going to be there, all the way to your your local great chefs like Chef Nikki. We've put together a program of 30 free demos that you will definitely learn from and enjoy throughout the five days of, of the festival. Uh, some of the other things that VIPs are going to be able to take advantage of, we have a a Best of the Fest program for the first time this year. That's where you can actually taste dishes that were produced during the championship. Some of our contestants have agreed to recreate their award-winning dish and serve it to the public. That'll happen from 12 to noon, both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we have some chairman's tables, which is a four-course tasting that's going to happen 12 times through the event. But I think all those tickets are already reserved and, and sold out. We also have a, a bourbon queue event where we pair 10 of the best pitmasters in America with great bourbons and have a little people's choice rib eating contest, taste rib tasting contest. So 
that happens Friday night. And there'll just be a, there'll be a lot more things like that going on throughout the five days of competition to make sure that everyone can plug into the kind of culinary delight that they're looking for. And tell us about this food judging class. It sounds really interesting. Probably the number one question we get is, how can I be a judge? We conduct a certified judging class on the front end of the event, and the people who participate in that class get to actually receive an assignment during the competition and or enjoy our judges' lounge where all of our extra entries get taken for what we consider the best table in the house, which is the grazing table. We are awarding over $300,000 in cash uh, to these competitors. So we want to make sure that the judging is done fairly, that it's done appropriately, and that it follows our EAT methodology, which stands for execution, appearance, and taste. We believe that every dish, no matter what category of food you're in, can be judged on those three criteria. We teach people this judging process in about a two-hour class and they get to sample uh, great food in the process. And then they come out of it as card-carrying certified food champ judges. And they will be able to judge not only at our event, but any WFC qualifier event uh, in America. What are some of the specific things people learn in this class? The first thing we try to teach people is how important it is to be objective. For example, if you don't like tomatoes, you've got to understand as a judge, you're being served food. You're not ordering food. So if a chef is serving you a hamburger with tomatoes on it or a great seafood dish that has tomatoes in it, you have to accept that and you have to judge that appropriately because that's what the chef wanted you to taste. So that's one of the first things we do is rule out subjectivity. Um, the other thing that we teach people about is is how to discern when a chef has executed a dish appropriately. Let's take bacon, for example. Uh, it's very easy to undercook or overcook bacon. It takes quite a bit of talent, uh, especially when you've got another eight to ten elements of a dish that you're pulling together. So we talk about things like that when it comes to the execution of the dish. Uh, When you look at a cheeseburger in paradise, for example, the buns are something that we teach people how to look for. Are they soggy? Are they hard? Were they over grilled or uh, did they have grill marks on them? Did the flavor of all the ingredients that went into that hamburger Did they gel well together or did something really blow out your taste buds because they're trying to do a spicy burger and they put too much ghost pepper in it? We walk through lots of examples of what we've seen in competitions and how to score those anomalies when you see them as a certified judge on a scale of 1 to 10. But one of the key things is that it's uh, it's blind judging too. Competitors don't want personality to play a role when it comes to judging competition food. They want the food to stand on its own, right? So in our opening rounds, all of our judges are sequestered. They don't know whose entry they're judging. They're purely judging it based on the recipe, the title of the dish, uh, and the description of the dish, and whether or not the chef achieved that. So you could have a Guy Fieri turn in a hamburger, and it may not score extremely well if he didn't execute it well. If you were seeing him that it was Guy Fieri's burger, your subjectivity would lean in his direction. We rule out those kinds of parameters in the very opening rounds of the event. The second aspect of the event, though, goes down the path of Food Network. We have a panel of five very competent judges who will sit in judgment of our 10 finalists at each of the final rounds. So the 10 champions will actually have to present their dish and then defend their dish 
in front of the five judges. They'll still use the EAT methodology, but those five experts will get to ask questions and probe the reasoning or the motivation behind a dish. So we're the only event that does this. And on Saturday and Sunday, we will basically have five shows a day, which are the finals, where you'll get to see expert judges scoring dishes and talking to our final contestants to determine who's going to be the champion of that category. That will happen five times Saturday, and it will happen five times Sunday. If you ever wondered what the heat of the kitchen's like, <laughs> you'll find out when you go to the World Food Championships because you can walk right almost into the middle of this situation and get within five or six feet of these chefs uh, and the ovens and, and the fires that they're they're creating um, in the process. You just you're blown away. Thanks, Mike. If you'd like to check out the World Food Championships this weekend, find tickets on their website at worldfoodchampionships.com. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. We also want to hear from you, so share your food thoughts, favorite restaurants, or tasty recipes with us at eatdrink@dallasnews.com. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. Stay up to date on every episode of the show and hear more from our newsroom. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Eat, drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.